0: It's the On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from the first one with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music.
2: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today's episode is brought to you by Bilt Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's James Rapine's favorite protein bar. Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. James, we've got some hints about the schedule today. We'll talk about those in the open of the show, along with an interesting comment from Mike Potts, one of the Bengals' senior scouts, about Hakeem Adenogy. And I, I find it to be a little controversial. I find it to be a bit of a hot take from the Bengals lead scout, lead college director of scouting, something like that. He He's important for the Bengals. And then in the second part of the show, we've got your mailbag, your first mailbag, James, since coming back to the podcast. And in part three, Patricia Trena from Locked On Giants comes on the show to talk to us about that matchup between a team that was very bad last year and the Bengals. Also weren't great, but I mean, I think... You know, we, as Bengals fans, feel better <laughs> about the future, right?
3: Yeah, their future has to be way brighter than the Giants, right?
2: Daniel Jones versus Joe Burrow. Take your pick. We'll talk about that with Patricia a little bit later on the show. Although Dave Gettleman, to his credit, did not draft a running back at the top of the first round this year. So good for him. First today, like I said, we'll get into the hints we have about the schedule, talk a little bit more about Hakeem Adeniji. Here we go. So, James, as we have speculated on the Lockdown Bengals podcast, the Bengals began their season against the NFC East because these are the games that have the smallest implication on playoff seeding for the AFC teams. There are some hints that there's a full outline for the schedule out there where division games won't start until Week 7. They'll go Week 7 to Week 10. They'll play other division opponents in the same conference from weeks 11 to 14, I guess, and finish up with three division games from weeks 14 to 17. It makes sense because those are the games that matter most to playoff seeding. And the NFL is building themselves a little bit of wiggle room there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Because, look, the the NFL, whether we like it or not, is – Much as they have continued the offseason and stuck to the schedule, even though it's more virtual, obviously, the reality is they don't know if the season is going to start on time. They don't know if training camp is going to be able to start at the end of July like it has for years and years. And so they have to have a safeguard in there. So if they have to delay the start of the season or cancel games, and and that's the part cancel, let's say the first three weeks of the season or the first four weeks of the season, you can't cancel division games. So instead of having to reschedule them, they're giving themselves a safeguard. Canceling Bengals-Cowboys is one thing. Canceling Bengals-Browns is a, a completely another animal. And, and so it makes a ton of sense. I think it's it's predictable, assuming that this report from John Clayton is true. And, and I, I think that it's the first step, I guess, or, or, or realistic you know reality that we're in now that the NFL does not know if the season's going to start on time. And it stinks. It stinks for us. <laughs> You know, being in this field, but you you hope it does. You just, we're not sure. And I don't think anybody is sure right now. And so that's the reality we're living in. And and that's why they're going to start, again, assuming the report is true, but it's completely believable, right? With uh, four straight NFC uh, NFC East opponents.
2: And John Clayton is a guy that generally isn't going to miss. He is in the Adam Schefter tier of, if he's reporting it, he has reliable sources telling him that's the case. He is a respectable journalist. He's not hearing one guy in the league office tell him, hey, we're thinking about you know, starting with these cross-conference games to start things. He's getting multiple sources on this. So there's no reason to doubt the veracity of John Clayton's report. And if it does change, well, I, I guess everyone's wrong sometimes. James, let's talk about <laughs> Hakeem Adeniji. on that note. Mike Pot says that if the Bengals had picked him at the top of the fourth round People would be happier about it. Nobody would have blinked. That's the sort of grade range they had on him. And I transitioned to this part of the discussion by saying everyone's wrong sometimes because I think Mike Potts might be wrong here. Not that I'm a professional scout, but the NFL gets it wrong from time to time. There were several guys in the fourth round that I would have had ranked well clear of Hakeem identity at that point. But Potts and the Bengals sound like they're very high on his prospects for this team
3: yeah he, he first of all yes I, I think he's extremely high on him I know Brian Callahan is and said that they had a much higher on their draft board what I think is interesting about this is you're right you know in your evaluation you, you know in feeling the way you feel and I actually think Mike Potts is correct and here's why the casual Bengals fan I mean the most casual fan they look at the draft. And I got these comments the night Joe Burrow was picked. Well, are they going to pick offensive line? If you're having a water cooler conversation with a casual fan, hopefully in your workplace and not on a Zoom conference call you know, a month from now, and you say, oh, well, they drafted this lineman out of Kansas, 48 starts at tackle, 40 starts at left tackle, fourth round pick. They really like him. He's versatile. They think he can play inside, outside. It sounds better to the casual fan. So I get that point, and I think that's kind of the, the point he was trying to make. But for the, the educated fan or analyst that looks at Akeem Adeniji, it doesn't seem like as big of a steal. Now, some – I believe it's Daniel Jeremiah, and I might be wrong. was really high on Adeniji. Others, not as high on him. So it's, it seems like he's a prospect that, that analysts are split on. But I think the casual fan would have been much more excited to see offensive linemen, regardless of who it was, in the fourth round, versus waiting till the sixth round, because the sixth round feels less important. It feels like you're just grasping at straws. But if you take one with the first pick on day three, it feels like a guy who might be able to contribute sooner rather than later. I think you make a really good point there from a
2: for the listeners of this podcast would all know, for example, that Hakeem Adenerji was a six-round prospect. He was appropriately drafted, and that's why he earns like a B kind of grade from, from this podcast. I don't remember where exactly we were, but B, B+, whatever you want to call it. They took an offensive lineman. He was probably one of the better guys on the board at that point, although yesterday we did talk about some lottery picks they could have gone with with Natani Muti or Prince Tegawanogo instead. Less risk, but less upside with Adenogy. But you're right. If, if you're a casual fan, you're not really studying prospects beyond the second round. You're not going to know who a lot of those guys are. So if you take him in the fourth round, well, then suddenly it's, oh, they have a fourth round lineman. I, I totally get that. And that's probably who Mike Potts is talking to through Jeff Hobson on Bengals.com. Coming up next, we've got your mailbag and a lot of questions for James comparing Cleveland to Cincinnati before the mailbag, James, your favorite protein bar is sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast for the entire month of May, and you love it. I love it because it tastes good, it hits the macros, and it does it without sugar. That's the biggest thing for me personally is that you get all these benefits with lower mm. sugar.
3: James, you have a couple of your favorite flavors with you today to talk about. Yeah, I've already crushed one of each of these today, so two built bars. Down the hatch today, coconut almond, 130 calories, 18 grams of protein, and just three grams of sugar, like you said. Then I also had the peanut butter one, which 170 calories, 20 grams of protein, only three grams of sugar. You're trying to keep that quarantine bod looking trim for summer. Get yourself a Built Bar.
2: You can get Built Bars cheaper than normal right now, too. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com.
1: This is Ross Jackson from Locked on Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car.
3: Welcome back into the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Rapine. He is Jake Lisco, and it's time to get to our weekly mailbag. You can chime in each and every week at Locked On Bengals on Twitter. And let's start with a, a familiar voice here on the Locked On Bengals podcast, Joe Goodberry, chiming in on this week's mailbag. He says, let's say the Bengals play the NFC East to start the season. What's their record after the first month? And I know for a
2: fact, Joe listened to our first episode and I don't know if he's gotten to our episode since then because he got a new phone and his new phone doesn't have a headphone jack on it. So he doesn't have Bluetooth headphones yet. So Joe, if you've got Bluetooth headphones and you're listening, I think the Bengals will be two and two in those games. I'm taking the optimist outlook here and I think the Bengals can beat bad teams And that means that I think they can beat the Giants and I think they can beat Washington. And the Giants is actually the tougher game, I think, between those. Because even though Daniel Jones is very, very bad, they did get the best offensive lineman in this draft and Andrew Thomas. And I think that he can step in and be a positive impact starter on day one. And the Bengals may have to take some lumps as they figure out what to do with these new young linebackers in defending the run. On the other hand, they have DJ Reader there. They've got Josh Bynes, who's very strong against the run, and I think Logan Wilson can start from day one and be a positive contributor as well. Saquon Barkley will still get his because I think that's just the nature of it, but I feel good about the Bengals' chances against those two teams. And then Philly and Dallas. I mean, those are the two, two of the games that the Bengals have the worst odds in Philly, plus nine on the road, Dallas plus five at home. I don't think the Bengals will be able to hang with Dallas' Dallas's offense. I do think it'll be a shootout. I I don't think that the Bengals will be able to quite keep up. Like DeMarcus Lawrence gets in there and, and ruins a game for him or something at some point with Bobby Hart or Fred Johnson or right Tackle. And then Phil, the Philly game is actually the most interesting to me. I think that's probably the most competitive out of all these games.
3: Interesting. that uh, you, you think that the Philly one would be most competitive. I, I have him at two and two as well. And part of the reason I haven't at two and two is I think the Bengals, despite the COVID-19 and despite not being able to meet in person with mini camps and things like that, I think they might play some of their best ball early on in the year because that's when A.J. Green's probably going to be healthy, right? That's when John Ross is going to be healthy and out there. And so, yeah, I get it. Rookie quarterback, new system. There's a chance that that he he struggles early on. At the same time, this is when he might have the, his most weapons. So I think they go two and two. I think he's a, a better, and he has the edge. at you know The Bengals have the edge at quarterback with Burrow in those two matchups against Washington, against the Giants. So even there, even with the, the weird offseason, I think they have the edge there, and they, they get the victories, including in Washington, which I, I think would be a big road win. I just can't see them beating a team like Dallas, right. Even though they're at home, I just think Dallas has too much talent on both sides of the ball. I think they upgraded at head coach for sure with Mike McCarthy. And then you have to deal with a team in Philadelphia that now that they've gotten some weapons on the outside, they're thinking deep playoff run again. And I get it. They need some secondary help. Dallas is in the same boat there. I just, I, I don't see the Bengals keeping up with either of those teams. So Two and two, I think the Bengals will be healthy through the first month, assuming that's when they play all four of these NFC East opponents and they take care of Washington and the Giants.
2: I think that Philly just has the same issues that Dallas has in their back seven. Dallas has a better linebacking core. Philly in their back seven is starting a college free agent at at linebacker with a guy named Nathan Gary and Duke Riley. I've heard of one player in their – oh, no, sorry. They signed Darius Slay. They traded for Darius Slay, so a little bit better in the secondary – that I initially gave them credit for. They signed Javon Hargrave from Pittsburgh. So the, the front four, again, I think gives a Bengals problem, similar to Dallas. And I think the Bengals can can win on the back part of that defense. So it comes down to quarterbacks keeping it close. And that's where I think that game could, again, be a, a back-and-forth game. And the Philly offense not quite as high-powered to me as the Dallas offense, which is why I think that it might be a little bit more competitive. But on the road in Philly, that's a tough place to play. Next question, though, comes from Mon Abulhosn. I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, and I apologize for that. But he asks, can you see another veteran added to the offensive line? Mentorship
3: could go a long way in helping the youth develop. Mon, I hope so. I'm still holding out hope. I just I don't think it's likely. I think when you start to look at this team, where they're at, they're going to have around $16.5 million in cap space, but a lot of free agents to be next off season. I want the Jason Peters. I'm going to try to speak it into existence. I just don't see it happening. And it really does sound like the Bengals are comfortable with where they're at from an offensive line standpoint. And they're going to really try to attack an AJ Green, uh, Joe Mixon, some of these other guys, Carl Lawson and try to get them extended this off season. So while I want it to happen, and I think it would be a welcome addition to that room. I think the Bengals are pretty confident that the offensive line with Jonah Williams and others is going to be better than it was last season. So I don't see it happening. But from a uh, an opinion standpoint, I would love to see it happen because I think it could certainly help the Bengals' line.
2: Yeah, I'll just answer the can I see it happening. I think it's pretty doubtful. I think they think that they have Trey Hopkins and Bobby Hart as solid veteran leaders. You ask people around the Bengals, they really like Bobby Hart's intelligence. They really like Trey Hopkins' intelligence. So I think they probably feel like they have veteran leadership in that room. It's just not the veteran leadership that, as fans, we're very excited about. They could even make an argument for Xavier Suofilo, who is on his second contract at this point. So I, I don't see it. I think that they feel like they have the guys going into the competition that they want to have, and they still feel better about this group than we do.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Let's keep things rolling here with the mailbag. Dalton asks if – uh, the Bengals addressed the linebacker position in the draft. They had Josh Bynes. They picked up Austin Calitro off waivers. Do you think this changes how much the team uses Sean Williams and Von Bell as hybrid type linebackers in certain situations? I
2: think that's going to depend on how quickly Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis Gaither come along. If they can play right away at a high level, then I think that you won't see as much of Sean Williams on the field as a linebacker in that big dime look that we saw so much last year where he had to do it because outside of Jermaine Pratt, there was nobody on the team to do that job. Von Bell, I think we'll see play a true strong safety role. And if they do bring an extra safety onto the field, I think it would be Sean Williams being that first guy off the bench. I also think there's a chance Sean Williams ends up a cap cap casualty, although I do think that's a small chance. Right now, I think they do value his leadership quite a bit and value his versatility on defense.
3: Yeah, I think that Sean Williams was slated or, or was going to have a chance to do that more, right, and play that hybrid role. And then they got three linebackers in the draft and guys that they certainly felt really strongly about in a Logan Wilson, in a Keem Davis-Gaither, and then Marcus Bailey as well. And while Bailey is a wild card, I, I think one of those guys is likely to emerge. So yeah, I, I think that barring injury here, Sean Williams is just kind of a a backup in multiple situations and multiple spots. And we're going to see injuries. It's football. So he's probably going to get significant playing time. But I I think Von Bell, like you said, is going to play strong safety and let Jesse Bates roam in the back end and and do what he does uh, best. I think he's most comfortable with certainly uh, Von Bell, obviously a a tackling machine and you can move him around a little bit, but I think it'll be safety most of the time. And, And if assuming health, I think the linebacker core, someone's going to emerge there, whether it is a Wilson or a Keem Davis Gaither. And then you feel comfortable with a Jermaine Pratt and a Josh Bynes who you went out and signed in free agency. So Williams is kind of a backup, multiple role backup guy. And you're right. Maybe he is a cap casualty. There's a chance of that. But if not, I just think he's going to be waiting to see if anyone gets banged up. And if so, his versatility is something the Bengals value.
2: There you go. Next question, James. This one's for you specifically from BZ at Burke underscore Franklin underscore on Twitter. If James could have brought one player with him from Cleveland to Cincinnati, not named Miles Garrett, who would that be?
3: So he takes away the best player. Of course, it would be Miles Garrett, right? Um, Regardless of fit. I look at this team and certainly you're not bringing Odell Beckham Jr. You're not bringing Jarvis Landry because you got Tyler Boyd. And I think Boyd, this might be a hot take. I think Boyd might be better. Um, so overall, I, I look at the roster and what the Browns did and there's two players that, that stand out to me and I'm certain that there's more, but the two that stand out, especially after the Bengals addressed linebacker, it's Jack Conklin, who they signed the right tackle from Tennessee and then Austin Hooper, the tight end, both free agent additions this off Austin Hooper, the, the tight end from Atlanta. I would take Conklin. I feel confident that the Bengals weapons are there and I get Jack Conklin isn't the best player. On the Browns roster, but from a fit standpoint, we wouldn't be talking about or questioning what he could do at right tackle. He would be a plug and play guy. He'd come right in. And then suddenly I think there, there wouldn't be any glaring, huge, giant weaknesses on a Bengals offense. I get it. You'd have some questions at guard, but Conklin would fill uh, a big question mark on this team. So that would be the guy I would take. Uh, No, it wouldn't be Baker Mayfield, like some said. I think Joe Burrow is a a better prospect than Baker, and I was high on Baker when he was coming out, and I still am. But uh, Jack Conklin, it it would be Conklin for me for sure. I'm going to jump in with my answer quickly. Mm -hmm. Denzel
2: Ward. Let's go to our next question, though, James.
3: Wow. Wow. That's it. Oh, my God. No explanation. Okay. Well, okay. uh... Here's
2: the explanation. It's quick. It's that he has all the tools you need to be a shutdown elite corner in the NFL. I really like cornerbacks. The Bengals need a shutdown
3: corner. There you go. Interesting. I think Browns fans would uh, would be willing to part with Ward easier than you think. Anyways, let's uh, l- let's keep things rolling here. Dan says, uh, and you answered this on Twitter, but I, we'll, we'll get to it anyway. Dan said, should or could the Bengals sign Clowney? You guys have me worried about the D-line long term. If you can get Clowney to play with Dunlap, Reeder, and Atkins with Lawson, Hubbard, and ADG, as in Davis Gaither, being extra rushers, isn't it worth the cap issues it causes? I get the argument. I don't think that they're going to make any big splash like that. But, uh, Jake, what do you think?
2: Uh, It's not happening. I mean, what we should do one of these days, James, is we should go plug in what we expect the extensions to look like for A.J. Green, what we expect the extension to look like for Joe Mixon. The Bengals are projected to, after they get their rookie deals done, have about $12.5 million, if I recall correctly, in cap space, maybe a little bit more than that. That means that you might be able to afford Clowney for one year, but if they want to make any of these extensions happen, any prorated bonus money that needs to come into 2020 will necessitate cuts elsewhere. Because Clowney's going to make a ton of money. I don't even know if they could afford him himself without making some cuts.
3: Yeah, I think they would have to cut. I, I think they're at sixteen and a half after the rookie deals, so okay. a little bit more than you said, but still, is Clowney taking a one-year sixteen million dollar deal? And for what he adds, and I get it, he's a freak, right? But is is it worth the the penalty? You know that you're going to have to take by not extending AJ Green, not extending Joe Mixon potentially. I, I don't think so, and I think that. You also need to figure out about a Carl Lawson and if he's worth keeping around long-term. So getting him on the field on on pass rush situations is important, and I'm not sure you'd be able to do that with Dunlap and and some of these other guys that you got, Hubbard, et cetera. So I get it. You'd want to go get him and make a splash. I just don't see it happening in Cincinnati. And for what it's worth, they haven't been mentioned at all this offseason when it comes to Jadavian Clowney.
2: And this is worth mentioning for both Clowney and Peters. These guys going into their third deals, fourth deals for Peters, They're going to be looking for short-term, probably win-now deals. Clowney probably maybe a long-term deal. But Peters in particular, I mean, it takes two to tango. I don't think Peters has any interest in Cincinnati, just because they're probably, in his perception, further away than the team he wants to sign with. Coming up next, we're joined by Patricia Trena from Locked On Giants. This could be a week one opponent. We just went on the record saying we both think the Bengals win this game by virtue of better quarterback play. That's assuming Daniel Jones won't improve. We'll find out what Patricia thinks about the future of the Giants' young quarterback coming up next. Listeners of the Locked On Bengals podcast, this is your warning. Mother's Day is May 10th. The next Sunday on your calendar, while it's not a Bengals game, I think it's more important, it's Mother's Day. So we have a cool book to tell you about. There's a contest going on. You can get her this book as a gift take her mind to exotic India where she can sample the food, laugh at the perils of raising a teenager in 1950s India through a new book of fiction called the henna Artist*. It's in Reese Witherspoon's book club for the month of May. So if your mom's into Reese Witherspoon's recommendations, definitely check it out. Then anytime in May you or your mom can post a picture on Instagram, holding the book or the ebook, put it on Instagram or Facebook tag, the author at the Alka Joshi T H E A L K A J O S H I and that will lead to a donation of 4 meals per post up to 10,000 meals that will go to Feeding America so go out hit up Barnes and Noble Amazon Walmart Costco or Target whatever bookstore you like buy the henna artist today and make your mom the ultimate winner in your family
0: All the way up to a thousand bucks. The terms are simple. You put in two hundred dollars, they'll match you with another hundred dollars in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at My Bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it.
2: The NFC East AFC North crossover event concludes today with we, the Locked On Bengals podcast, Jake Lisko along with James Rapine talking to Patricia Traina from the Locked On Giants podcast. Patricia, I'm going to want to talk to you about Daniel Jones today, but first, how you doing?
4: I'm doing well. Good to talk to you guys.
2: The last time we talked, it was when Cody Core became a giant. He's still kicking. As you said, he got himself an extension. He's actually listed right now on Our Lads, which is a very unofficial depth chart, as I guess the fourth receiver behind Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, But let's get started with talking about Daniel Jones, because when the Bengals play the Giants this year, and we're hearing that's going to be in the first four weeks of the season, I think this really comes down to quarterback play in a big way. Do you feel confident about Daniel Jones going into year two with how rocky his rookie season was?
4: I think so. And the reason why I say that is, is I like the coaching staff that Joe Judge hired. I think that's going to be a really big difference in this Giants team. I thought the last two coaching staffs with the, you know, with Pat Shermer and before him, Ben McAdoo, I I wasn't a fan of the coaching staffs. There there were some good guys worth keeping and then the rest of them, you know, I, I could have done without Joe judge put together a solid staff. And I think the important thing here is he brought in coaches who were former NFL players or former college players at the units that were probably the weakest on the Giants. So in the case of you know Daniel Jones, his quarterback's coach is, is Jerry Shuplinsky who was with Miami, but the offensive coordinator, as you know, is Jason Garrett, formerly of the Dallas Cowboys, who actually was once a backup quarterback for the Giants. So I really like that the Giants made that move.
3: Patricia, you mentioned Joe Judge, and I think when he got the job in New York, the average nfl fan i know i was surprised uh, what what about him stood out to the giants and what have you been your, your impressions of him over the past couple of months since he got the job
4: well i think he has a vision he you know and i know you could say that about every coach but i think he's very realistic in what he wants to do and how he wants to get there he's also not full of himself he knows what he knows and he knows what he doesn't know And he made sure to surround himself with um, a staff that that will ensure that he, you know, stays on focus and who can help him out of a jam if he should uh, land into one. Now, so far, uh, another thing I like about him, and I think the Giants like about him, is he's cut from that Bill Belichick, Nick Saban cloth, if you will. You know, those are two coaches that they know how to win. And, uh, you know, you might not agree with how they treat the media or, you know, how they necessarily go about doing things, but they know how to win. And Judge, in coming over uh, from the Patriots, um, no-nonsense type of guy. He he doesn't BS you. Um, he doesn't tell you what you want to hear or what, what he thinks people want to hear. And he just gives it to you straight. He's a straight shooter. And I think that's going to go over well with the Giants players.
2: So let's talk a little bit more about the development of Daniel Jones before we talk about some newcomers to the Giants and there's a real focus on the offensive line in the draft but you mentioned Jason Garrett and I'm sorry I don't recall the name the quarterbacks coach that comes up from Miami what about those guys makes you think that they can get it turned around for Daniel Jones because he do, do you agree that he didn't have a very good rookie season or is there some defense to him throwing, what was it, like the highest clip of, of interceptable balls in the NFL last year? Is there, is there yeah, something, something I'm
4: missing? Yeah, something like that. The uh, quarterback's coach name, by the way, was Jerry Shuplinsky. Thank you. Um, da- Daniel Jones, um, I, I wouldn't say he had a disastrous rookie season. Yes, the turnovers were an issue. But I, I also question how Pat Shermer brought him along in the offense. I, I just thought there were times when he didn't take full advantage of what Daniel Jones does well. And he asked him to do things that maybe he wasn't ready to do. And we actually saw that um, we saw that at the beginning of the year when Eli Manning was in, in the lineup. Eli Manning, as, as everybody knows, his strength is not as a mobile quarterback don't ask that guy to run because that's not his strength but yet there was Eli Manning being asked to execute rollouts designed rollouts boots and all that stuff and it just wasn't his strength so when Daniel got in there what was ironic is is I don't think he did enough of those those rollouts and uh, that took advantage of his mobility and instead they asked him to do some some you know downfield passing and, and some timing routes that maybe. You know, this year he'll be a little bit better at, but at the time he wasn't as strong at, especially when it came to reading. You know, coverages. I thought some of um, his reads it was it was too easy to um, fool him, and he he misread stuff, and he would end up throwing interceptions, and um, it, it it was just a disaster. And the good thing about Daniel Jones is. He has a short memory. He, he, you know, I call it the cornerback memory, where if you have a bad play, you forget about it and you go to the next play, and, and you know, you just go try and get him at that point. So that's one reason why I feel com- you know confident that he's going to have a better year. I think another reason why I feel confident is at Eli Manning's retirement ceremony in January, I had a chance to speak with David Cutcliffe. Who was uh, who, of course, is the head coach at Duke University, where Daniel played. And D- uh, David Cutcliffe told me a story about when they were flying up for you know the retirement ceremony. He says, "There he is." You know, Daniel flew up with with Cutcliffe and his wife, and you know the Cutcliffs were relaxing on the flight. You know, kind of leaning back, enjoying the flight, and there was Daniel Jones basically, you know, looking over notes and working, you know, and 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 he didn't stop. He didn't stop until till basically, you know, it came time for the ceremony. He even told me that even before that, um, you know, while they were waiting to come out for the ceremony, Daniel was working on stuff. He was looking at film. He was looking at notes. So I, I think that's going to help him tremendously, his, his sense of, you know, want to and his dedication. Now, you know, you, you factor that in with the coaching and I really think we'll see a big, we'll see him take a big step forward in his second season.
3: Patricia, Jake mentioned the the additions on the offensive line and obviously Andrew Thomas, they take him fourth overall. They draft Matt pert and others. How confident are the giants in that offensive line going into the 2020 season?
4: Oh, I think they definitely upgraded that unit. I mean, even though, as you said, they have a couple of rookies there. Um, Andrew Thomas is going to make a big difference. This is a pure left tackle, a guy who didn't give give up a lot of pressures or or, or sacks, and you know, in that division, that SEC conference, that that's as close to the pros as you get because that's just such a competitive uh, division. And he held his own against some some really you know solid pass rushers. Uh, Matt Part is still kind of a, a work in progress. I don't know that he's necessarily going to start this year. I think the starting tackles are going to be um, Thomas and, and Nate Solder. I couldn't tell you just yet if, if, you know, Solder's going to be on the left or the right and vice versa, but they have upgraded, I think, the tackles. The area that's still a question mark on that offensive line is the guard. I'm sorry, the center position. Um, they're going to probably start off with uh, Spencer Pulley who they picked up off waivers a couple of seasons ago, and he did an okay job. I think they can win with him, but long-term, I think they're hoping to get Shane Lemieux, who they drafted, I believe, in the fifth round um, out of Oregon, uh, as their their um, uh, long-term center. So uh, I, I would say overall, compared to where the offensive line was this point last year, definitely an upgrade.
2: Yeah, I, I see four solid pieces there as well with Solder Hernandez, our former first-round pick, Kevin Zeitler, and Andrew Thomas, it's a really good core to go with. And if Spencer Pulley is your weak link at center, he's at least got some solid players around him. And the other obvious strength of the team to me is uh, the top three receivers in Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, and Sterling Shepard. But when you think about this matchup between the Giants and the Bengals, what, what concerns you the most? And, and just looking at the roster, I'm going to assume... It's the secondary, but maybe you're more confident in James Bradbury and DeAndre Baker than I am.
4: Well, I mean, they have to get out there and show it. I mean the secondary last year obviously um uh, was a problem. They had a lot of young players. They've added some more young players to the group. And um so yeah, I, I'm I'd be laying if I said I wasn't a little bit concerned because they went and added additional pieces to that secondary. That to me, whenever, whenever you have like a bunch of young players and then you add more young players, it makes me stop and wonder, okay, maybe they, they didn't feel that they had what they needed there. Maybe they need to reassess what they're at. But I think the other thing that I'm very curious to see how it unfolds is the pass rush. The Giants um, did not really address the pass rush the way people thought they would. Um, Obviously, once Chase Young was off the board, that 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 was like the cream of the crop there and everybody else was kind of, you know, um, I guess an afterthought. But um, the Giants haven't said this, but um, it seems like the plan is going to be for them to generate a pass rush through the scheme. And what makes me nervous about that is we heard the same thing last year, that they were going to use the scheme. And generate a pass rush and they really didn't now whether that was because the back end of the defense couldn't hold the coverage long enough or the front end of of the uh, defense couldn't get home or whatever the case may be it was a failure and I I just I I don't think I can go into this season saying okay I believe you that you're going to generate a pass rush through scheme when you've been trying to do that now for two three years and it hasn't worked
2: Could be a little bit more to do to get that Giants defense in shape. Although I do have to say, I love the Xavier McKinney pick in round two. And I was a big fan of Corey Ballantyne last year. I'm excited to see how he develops. We'll talk about those guys a little bit more before the Bengals play the Giants during the season. Patricia, thanks so much for giving us some insight on what you expect from the Giants this year.
4: My pleasure, guys.
2: That's going to do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Tomorrow we have Paul Danner Jr. from the Athletic joining us. Look forward to that one. We'll talk to you then. Have a good one, Bengals fans.
0: Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild-card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds' hitting would come around with the signings that they made last off-season? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team